This special Edge of NFT Asia Roadshow Tour Edition is sponsored by our friends at Casper Association. They oversee the evolution of the Casper Network, a blockchain supporting innovative tech giants, as well as decentralized applications and platforms, and featuring both upgradable smart contracts and predictable gas fees. They also have a great new show called Casper Blockchain Podcast. You can check out on Spotify or by visiting casper.network and clicking on news. Welcome to the Edge of NFT, the podcast created by Jeff Kelly, Ethan Janney, and Josh Krieger, the podcast that brings you the top 1% of Web3 today and what will stand the test of time. We explore the nuts and bolts of the business side and also the human element of how Web3 is changing the way we interact with the things we love. This podcast is for the dreamers, disruptors, and doers who are pumped about this ecosystem and driving where it goes next. Hi, everyone. Josh Krieger here, co-host of Edge of NFT, live in Seoul, Korea, here with Q Lee, the president of come to us USA. It's great to have a chance to talk to another Angelino over in Seoul, Korea, which I'm <laughs> yeah. sure you've been here many more times than I have. Yeah, we have to travel all the way around the world to meet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But thank you very um, much for having me. <laughs> it's a pleasure. I've known some members of your team for a long time and mm. have been excited to sort of unpack your story a little bit more for our audience, because I think it's really interesting. Maybe we can kind of just go back to the origins of mm-hmm. Come to us and sort of how you got into the mix and, and sort of became CEO of the U.S. division. So I joined straight out of college. The current Come to us was actually called Gameville back in the days. So Gameville was uh, formed in the year 2000, graduates from Seoul National University. We decided to build a game company and we decided we have the best shot to make the first mobile game company in the world. So our business was struggling, actually. We had to work with all of the carriers around the world. That's when I went to the U.S. to establish relationships with the carriers back in the day. So I went out to sign deals with AT&T, Verizon, and so on. But when the App Store came around, that's when really mobile gaming went to the next level. Our business started growing. We went public. And at that time, we were the number one and number two player in the market was Gameville and Come to Us. So Come to Us was a company that we acquired. They were also a public company. We we bought the founders' uh, shares, and then we created a hit title called Summoner's War. And Summoner's War still in service for the past nine years, and we've generated more than $3 billion of revenue from that uh, game. I think it's, yeah. it's over a million dollars a day? Yeah, it's pretty much a million dollars a day. Yeah, so with that, actually, we've expanded beyond gaming. We started acquiring media companies, too, with the thesis that, just like the App Store brought all of the local Korean developers to the global stage and made them unicorns, we were thinking like all of the OTT platforms like Netflix and Disney Plus and all of those companies are also are going to do the same thing. So we started rolling up a lot of entertainment companies. So now in, in Korea or globally? In, in Korea, we're making investments everywhere. But uh, yeah, so now we have five public companies and about forty companies uh, uh, that we directly control in the gaming and entertainment space. And because we're so heavily invested into digital assets. It's obvious that we're interested in uh, blockchain, too. Yeah. yeah, it makes a lot of sense, and I appreciate all that context. You guys are keeping busy. Tell me a little bit more about sort of the throughput in terms of the games that you've created. 
and sort of let's fast forward to your choice to sort of create your own layer one, uh-huh. which I thought was a bold decision, yes. but it makes sense in the context of sort of how you guys look at like the potential here uh-huh. and what sort of sort of results have occurred there in terms of the types of games that you've created and, and sort of the launching sequence. Yes. yes. So at the beginning, we started investing into a couple of like blockchain companies, uh, crypto companies. So we actually are on the second largest shareholder of the third largest crypto exchange in South Korea called Coin One, And we were learning the market. And when we saw Axie Infinity and NBA Top Shot come out, we thought, oh, this is going mainstream. And then NBA Top Shot was what inspired us to do the podcast yeah. so in March of 2021. Right. Oh, cool. cool. Yeah. And we actually have the number one MLB baseball game on the App Store. And when we were looking at NBA Top Shot and we thought, oh, if that becomes a game and then would the users play a game with digital asset ownership or would they play a game without digital asset ownership? Oh, this is a huge threat to our business. And then when we looked at Axie Infinity, Summoner's War is a turn-based RPG game and they're a turn-based RPG game. I think our game looks much more better and sophisticated than theirs, but if with more capital and with more human resources and if the game eventually gets better, then it's going to be a huge threat to our business. So we thought, oh, this is an obvious move that people will choose games with digital asset ownership over games without digital asset ownership. So we thought we're going to take this seriously. We're going to up our game. We're going to go all into Web3. And then we said, oh, we're not going to be in the L1 business. Uh, so we chose Terra. <laughs> Yikes. Yikes. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, we, and, uh, it sounded like a good idea at the time. Yes, because they didn't have a good gaming partner. We thought we could be the gaming arm for them. And, and they had a really loyal, strong global fan base, yes. too. I yes. mean, the people talk about in retrospect, the writing was on the wall, but the writing might have been on the wall, but it was in invisible ink. Yes. Well, and the tech wasn't wrong. Cosmos was a uh, great ecosystem that they worked on and yeah it was a next generation layer one so we betted into that and when the whole terror collapse happened then we thought oh we're a big enough company we're still very early in the web3 era and there's going to be so many years ahead of us we have a lot of experience doing live operations like running games as a service you know and if we can apply that knowledge and bring in the right people, learn the Web3 language in the proper way, and we partner with a lot of good companies, then we could do our own layer one is the conclusion that we came to. And you're calling it? Explore. It's abbreviation of explore and play. So yeah. Nice. Makes sense. <laughs> and how many games have you launched so far? And what are the plans? Yeah, so we migrated the games that we had on Terra previously. And it was the, the, the platform was called C2X. We migrated the, those games over and then we launched our new games. Now we have nine games already. But the approach that is very different from all of the other games in the market is we're not like Web3 native because we still believe the funnel approach. You have to go out, get the biggest amount of users. And if we're just targeting 10,000 users, 100,000 users, that's not fun for us. The reason why we come into the blockchain industry is because we want to convert everyone. We want to convert millions of users. So our approach is then 
then we got to start with all of the users that we have in the Web2 business and move them all over. Eventually, will take longer. That's what we've been learning too, because I think the current Web3 native games are very focused on traders rather than gamers. What we're focusing on is gamers and educating them to be traders too. So what are the results? Can you talk about some of the early yeah, numbers so, on so, adoption? So we learned very, very quickly that, oh, these are two distinct groups. You have a lot of data <laughs> to back yes. up you know, what you've learned. Yes. We didn't want to overdo it too, because just like when we were moving our business from packaged business to free-to-play business, people need time to adopt and learn. There were paid apps and then there were free-to-play apps, but in between there were paid plus in-app purchase apps as a middle step. And we're taking the same approach. I think there's Web 2 games and there's Web 3 games. And what we're doing right now is Web 2.5 games. So, so we're mixing Web 2 and Web 3. So, so we're, we're giving a flavor of Web 3. So, so what's been sort of the biggest success among the nine games so far? So we have a title called Summoner's War Chronicles. That's been a very big, successful title. It's actually, even out of all of the games that we're servicing right now, it's the third largest game that we have. So, uh, yeah, that game has done very well. The amount of Web3 users are like still a very small portion of the whole game because you actually have to play quite a significant amount until you start being exposed to the digital ownership part. And it's also restricted to a lot of countries uh, due to the regulations. But yeah, I think we're collecting a lot of data there and we're noticing what the hurdles are, where we have to improve on. It's been a great experience, I think. And we're so familiar with this because we have to go through the same steps when we were doing free-to-play. Yeah. We it's were an iteration, lean yes. startup. Like what exactly. I've learned from the short time with you is that like I've done with my businesses, you guys follow a very iterative lean startup process and exactly. you approach every new business opportunity as almost like starting a company over from scratch, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So like, is there something specific that you can point to that sort of surprised you in terms of what did work in terms of the adoption where you like, you didn't expect that to be such a powerful mechanism? Yeah, so I think what we did learn is we didn't know the two groups would be that distinct. It's clearly one thing yeah. that we did learn. Like, yeah, twins from a different mother or father. But then we also learned that certain countries, especially like Korea, they'll go through many, many hurdles. There are certain countries like where you throw a game at them and then they'll put out an Excel sheet with all of the odds of the gotcha boxes and so on. And Korea is one of those amazing countries. They'll do all the math for you once you launch the game. It's a great test bed. And I think even for, for blockchain games, I think it is a great ground to learn from the user behaviors. Yeah, I appreciate all these insights. So what's next and sort of how have your sort of plans for this migration over to Web3 evolved moving forward over the coming quarters and years? Yeah, I think one of the things that people don't really know, I think there's two things that I want to point out. One is it's really hard to make a successful game. If you could replicate your first game again, you would have done it by now, right? Exactly. We would have done it over and over and over, right? And then you'd be bigger than Google. Yes, but the fact is, like, we made our biggest game that we created is a game that we created 10 years ago. 
And like, so look at how many flops that we went through. And you have more resources now and you learn more and... And yet still, right? And so that's one of the things. You'll think, get there. You'll do it. Yes. And then the second thing is how long it takes to develop a game. When we first started mobile, I think we would develop six months to a year and then we'll put, pump out one game. But now it takes three years to five years. And for the better games, it's closer to the five years. So if you look at all of these Web3 startups that just got funded last year or the year before, it's great that they got funded plenty of money, but those good games will take time to come out to the market. I think you'll still need to wait maybe two or three years to see good Web3 games coming out to the market. And I think that's when healthy cycle of Web3 games are going to come out. I'm not saying it's going to take that long. They might have better teams <laughs> yeah. and they might be leaner and meaner. Just be patient. Yeah, just be very patient. So you are sort of releasing new games pretty quickly. Is there yes. one personal favorite among the games coming out soon that you're just really excited about? One game that we recently launched is a game called Mini Game Party. It was one of the biggest casual franchises in Korea. It was a collection of like 13 hyper-casual games with cute characters. One of the things that I like about that is just like how I love mobile games, because it's hard to find a gamer. All the kids, young or old or male or female, they're all able to play these type of games. And I think that's the beauty of mobile games. And I think that's the reason why mobile games is more than 50% of the total gaming market. I think blockchain games also have to address a huge market. The core audience may be easier to educate, but games that can reach a bigger audience is where I think we'll bring blockchain more to the mainstream. We recently released that game and it's a great game and I'd love everyone to check it out. Cool. We'll share it on our socials with our audience and encourage folks to check it out. This has been really insightful. I appreciate the opportunity to get to know you and to spend some time together. Where should folks go to sort of keep tabs on Come to Us and what you guys are doing and stay in touch with your company? We're present on Twitter. We can't call it Twitter anymore, X, right? I guess. Yeah. Okay. I, We're present on That's that. going to take a while for me to <laughs> yes, stop calling it Twitter. I still search for it. Yeah, I heard Elon wanted to call PayPal X. Yeah, yeah. And he got his way. Right, yes. So, well, he's the boss now, so... <laughs> We're president on X, so we have a handle, Xpla underscore official for Xpla. And then we have the Come To Us handle for Come To Us News. All right. Well, grateful to spend this time together. Thank Thank you you very much. Thank you. Hi, everyone. Back live in Seoul, South Korea. It's the first day of the official impact conference at Korea Blockchain Week. And Richard and I are here with Wanil Saw, the Executive Vice President of Corporate Development for WeMate, one of the major sponsors of the event. And they're doing so much interesting stuff in gaming and Web3 and blockchain that we wanted to sit down and have a chat. Thanks for joining us, Juan. Thank you. If I may correct, not one of the biggest. We are the biggest sponsors. Just putting it out there. All right. Very, very important. Yeah, set the record straight. <laughs> this was an important event for you guys, and we'll talk a little bit about that. But just a little bit about your background first for those that are getting to know you for the first time. You have a range of experience in gaming spending 25 years. In the last decade that you spent overseeing global business development for WeMade, 
and that you've experienced a lot of seismic events taking place in the evolving sector. That is certainly understatement. It's been a dynamic place. And previously as CEO of Nexon Korea, Juan played an instrumental role in launching some of the biggest innovations in the gaming industry, including the world's first free-to-play game and the first graphic, massively multiplayer online role-playing game. And he continues to focus on important areas in the gaming industry, including free-to-play, IP, and artificial intelligence. So we should get into that as well, because we have a new show, Edge of AI, as well. Okay, that's a very nice intro. I, I feel like there's nothing more I can say about myself. But just to reiterate, I joined gaming in 96. I started as an intern at Nexon, one of Korea's bigger game companies as well. I've been in this industry for a very long time. And what I like about blockchain and Web3 is Korean game developers at that time, mid-late 90s till maybe early 2000s, we pioneered uh, online gaming. So before you'd had games, retail games where you'd buy CD-ROMs, and you put it into your disc player, you play the game or your console. But we decided, hey, we've got the internet, so why not distribute our games through the web, through the internet, as well as make online playing a part of the gameplay itself instead of just maybe matchmaking. And with that came new ways to monetize because your data was saved on the server. So if you spent money for to play stuff, you can go to another PC or another country. If you access your account, you can still have all that information. And being online changed how you design games as well as what you can do with games and how you can monetize games. I've seen that for the past 25 years. And what got me and what got we made excited into Web3 and blockchain gaming was, hey, there are a lot of similarities where this technology enables a lot of different things. And, you know, one way to do it is, as I said earlier, you take a retail CD-ROM PC game or a console game and you add an online component you have multiplayer, you have some small online things. And I think that's what's happening with blockchain right now, where we're using the, what information we're storing on chain versus what's stored on, on the server side. I think that is, we still have maybe 10, 20 years to go until we fully utilize this technology and how we design games. So I think that gets me excited because I've seen this trend happen 20 years ago. And I think Korea, fortunately, we're a small country, we're very wired, very connected. And we were able to leap ahead compared to other countries and other companies. And I see WeMade being one of the forerunners, not just in Korea, but globally using blockchain and gaming. Because WeMade as a company, we've been around since 2000. Let's rewind a bit. Like, tell us a little bit more about WeMade and WeMix and sort of give us more of an overview of sort of where you guys are at at this time in terms of size and scope, the number of games that you all support and power. I like to talk about my about what we do, so please interrupt me with more relevant questions, and I'm happy to revert back. Yeah, absolutely. But I think just a general overview is helpful because I think you guys are very unique in the overall gaming ecosystem, and I think that context would be valuable for our listeners. Got it. As a company, we started out over 23 years ago, and so we started making PC online games. So we're the first generation of PC online game developers in Korea, and we've developed a lot of lot of games and we have a game called Mir which is like the world of Warcraft in China. We were one of the first companies there. So that's a huge IP for us. In the last 23 years we've developed games from PC and about 10 years ago when mobile was happening we sort of dove into mobile gaming. We have different companies developing a lot of different mobile games and as we see the industry changing Web3 is our new like hey this is where gaming can excel and so we're a game company first using blockchain technology to make the gaming experience better. When did blockchain come into the mix? About five years ago, we made an investment. There was an internal team. There were two, three guys saying, hey, we think blockchain is going to be important. We want to do something about it. So the company funded them about a million dollars. Say, here's a little seed money. 
go start your thing, do your thing. We were interested early on, but it wasn't something that we knew that was going to change the world. But as we saw that team grow and that technology grow and the landscape changing, we realized, hey, we've got something here that I think could be very beneficial. And so about three years ago, three and a half years ago, we used that chain, the technology that we had into one of our games, Mirror 4, which is one of our bigger IPs. We went free-to-play P2E at that time. I mean, I guess we don't use that word so much anymore. But Mirror, we did about 1.5 million concurrent users when we launched using blockchain. And we realized, wait a minute, there's so many things that we're learning and our gaming community likes. And we've gotten users from Brazil, Southeast Asia, parts of Europe, parts of Africa, where they probably wouldn't have known about a Mirror or this IP. But because we have blockchain technology and there was some benefits that we thought we were able to give to the users, we had a lot of interest from non-traditional WeMate fans. And that sort of gotten us to the idea like, hey, wait a minute, we've used this technology and you know, we've invested in blockchain. So we have blockchain programmers. We know how the ecosystem, we know how to write smart contracts. But then we realized, hey, if we can give this value to other developers around the world saying they don't need smart contract developers, they don't need to know that they need to audit their smart contract with a certain company, all of that stuff will do for them because we think this is going to bring value to game developers. And so we decided at that time, hey, we're going to become a platform. We're going to make our SDK available for a lot of different developers. If you're a Web2 guy and you want to do something on the Web3 side and you have no idea how to do it, not just NFTs, but also tokenomics design, things like that, we'll work with you on that. So for the last three and a half years, we've been creating a platform called WeMixPlate.com, which is our site where we've signed about 120 games. We've launched about 30 games and roughly we're launching about three, four games a month. We're a platform, so they're not all our games. We have about seven, eight games that are our own. The rest, 20-something, are third party. That's what we're doing. And that's incredible. I mean, almost 30 years of experience. You take that and start diving into blockchain, and you immediately start saying, like, okay, you turn it into an SDK, which in, the, in its first way, a lot of developers and people who are coming in this space don't need to know how to write smart contracts, don't need to know how to do all of the NFTs and setting up all of the different ways that they could be utilizing these in the game. But now that you have this platform, people are coming and growing on this. I'm sure there's a lot of different directions uh, that WeMix can now go. So what are some of the things that you're looking forward to in some of the games that are potentially coming out that you know are in the background but are really excited to see some of these new releases come out? So we have games that we're onboarding. And some of these games are Web2 games that are slightly adding on Web3 components, maybe some slight tokenomics or maybe just small NFTs. There are games that we're designing from the ground up and third-party games that we've onboarded that are starting just as a Web3 game and how do they use this chain? And so one of the bigger games that we've succeeded, we launched a game about three months ago in Korea called Night Crows. This is an MMORPG, Unreal 5. Beautiful, beautiful game. Beautiful. And you can see it and it's done. It's been the number one RPG for the last couple of months in Korea because we've just launched in Korea only. And we're going to launch this game, the global version, the goal is within December or early next year. And this is going to be using all the know-how that we've accumulated with blockchain launching 30, 40 games. Why did you start just in Korea? Well, because in Korea, we have a regulation where blockchain gaming is not allowed. So for some reason, the Korean government is, they're going to come around. They're very careful because Korea is a country where, unlike the U.S. where you have ESRB and you get a rating, in Korea, you need the approval of a government agent saying, okay, you can release this game. So all Korean games are released that way for the Korean audience. But for blockchain gaming, there is no process yet. So blockchain gaming, you can't get that approval in Korea. So that's why in Korea, we just have a regular in-app purchase, regular free-to-play model. 
but then going overseas, we're going to add our blockchain into it. It gives you a chance to sort of battle test it and learn what users like and whatnot. And you have this really unique longitudinal perspective on the space, but also just in the last few years, I think the industry has evolved a lot. What are some of the macro trends that you all see that might not always get discussed publicly in terms of types of games that are popular, type, how the user base is changing, how the industry is evolving? It's a tough question, but a really good question because there are like seismic shifts like blockchain, but there are, I think, shifts in the way demographics. Smaller tremors too, Tremors right? too, right. And so in the last maybe year, I've seen more casual or more hyper-casual games. Their business model is ad-based. Before, like 10, 20 years ago, when we developed games, I mean, you developed a real game, you spent 30, 40, 50 hours, RPGs, hundreds of hours playing. But I think a lot of these games that I've talked to, the developers that I've been meeting with lately, those type of games that I've talked about, but you know, because they require a lot of funding and a lot of resources, they don't want to spend three years of their lives with a 100, 200-man team developing something. And if it flops, it's a huge flop. On the attention side, is the attention span of audiences changing too? I feel like people had more time on their hands during COVID and now they're working out again. They're going out to dinner. They're you know, finding more things to do with their time than just gaming. Has that sort of impacted the types of games that people play and how they play them? I think that has had a major impact. And also, I think... The way not just gaming has changed, but how the younger generation interacts with our smartphones. When you're traveling, even mobile games, you see the highest peak concurrent numbers when people are commuting to work on the subway or on the train and when they're getting off work and then right before they go to sleep. So we generally see these three spikes. But with the younger crowd, I think they need, they, you know, at school, they've got five, 10 minutes to play. So if you play an MMO, it's not going to work, but they do want access. So because there is this thing in your hand where you can have internet access and that there's a beautiful screen, I think that shift in the way, uh, social shift towards being more interactive with your cell phone is probably another reason why these snack-sized gaming is, is happening. You just stereotype me. Like, I'm that guy that, like, I might play one or two quick sessions in the morning and then hang out after work, watch TV with my girlfriend, and she goes to bed a little earlier, and then I'm playing a couple sessions before <laughs> I go to sleep. I don't know about you, Richard, but... I mean, I do a lot of mobile gaming, but I also do a lot of console as well. But just to stick in on the mobile side, one of the largest challenges with the free-to-play model is getting to the point of conversion, right? Getting people eventually over and to start using it. It's a dynamic that the Web3 model hasn't really been able to figure out. And it sounds like through your experience and what you're seeing over WeMix, y'all, y'all are really starting to crack that code. How do you think that's going to continue to evolve as attention spans are changing over time and you're seeing kind of these trends start to happen? First of all, I think this is something that everybody in the industry acknowledges. We need to make onboarding easier for not just Web3 games, but just having a wallet. That needs to change. It needs to be more seamless and so it's not just us doing something like that. I think it's the whole ecosystem where we need to get better. And I'm pretty sure it could be six months, it could be six years, but during that time frame, I think it will become a lot easier. So in a couple of years from now, when even people that, I mean, do they really even need to know what a wallet is until they really need it? People talk about this and they're like, yeah, that's true. But how do you implement it? And where is the use case of needing a wallet? And if you're not on the DeFi side, I think gaming is probably the biggest touch point of where you need a wallet, but you don't need to know you need a wallet until you're into the game. So we're designing things like that. We've made investment in com- investments in companies that say, hey, we're going to try to solve that problem. And I know there are a lot of good companies, a lot of great minds working at it. So I know that's going to be cracked. 
So once that happens, I think having players pay for content, it's like even that. I think it's how like you look at Netflix or you look at other media that's changing because of the short attention span. You need to be aware right away. So before, like if we read a book that's 100 years old, it's really slow build up, slow build up. But now, if you look at Netflix, the first 30 seconds you've got to be hooked into the thing. Same thing with digital art or digital animation, things like that. And I think gamers, the game developers now, are generally older. They're maybe in their 30s or 40s and 50s. And so I think we need to change some of the way we develop our games for that first 30 seconds or having that wow moment early on. Because I think a lot of medium and not just games are catering to their audience that way. It's just that our developers are maybe older of an older crowd, so they don't value that as much. But I think that's people are going to realize that. And so, I mean, there are games where you don't need to do anything; you just go into the game. TikTok's a great example. No sign up, no nothing. Boom, you're into it. Same thing with games. I think that's going to be coming. I agree. I think there's a good blend between dynamic storytelling and someone getting really wrapped up in what's happening in the world that's being created and how they can keep going deeper and exploring that. And then there's also the person that just wants to jump in and immediately start getting after it, right? And so with that, with all of the different games, 30 plus that you have and, and more coming, what are the trends that you're seeing that are resonating with a lot of people? Is it the mobile games that are fast action? Is it the dynamic storytelling? Is it kind of a blend of both? Like, what are you seeing from a gaming aspect that's really starting to resonate with people right now? I think it changes from time to time. I mean, 10, 15 years ago, maybe RTS were a really big thing. And MMOs have always been there as like they're hardcore MMO players. But then you've got casual MMOs, you've got hybrid MMOs, and you've got different genres of game like intertwining with other genres. So I think now, I mean, there still are really hardcore gamers. And we like those guys because those guys, they appreciate their game and they spend a lot of time and effort and, you know, they spend a sizable amount of money. And for those guys, I think Web3 is going to be beautiful because it does fit into them. The developers acknowledging, hey, man, you are not just a gamer. You are part of the community. You make this happen. You make the not just the gameplay, but that community, that experience. So those guys are really great with Web3. I think there's a trend of, as you said as well, the snack size or the short attention span gaming. And those guys add value, I think, in a different way. And so if you have a brand, and it could be a non-gaming brand, and if you want to be more immersed or interact with gamers, I think there are those shorter attention span games where your brand can have a connection with. And I think people are going to realize even more how much of an impact gaming has on everybody's life. I mean, if you're a gamer, that doesn't change. I've played games since I was seven, eight. My mom broke our TV at home, or big two, because I played too much games. And little did she know this was going to be how I earned my keep, right? playing games for another 20 years until my eyes go out, you know? <laughs> yeah, I think what you just said, I want to sort of expound upon a little bit. This idea of sort of non-gaming brands having exposure in the gaming world, whether it's through creating their own game or having in-game assets in another game and sort of how that relates to broader Web3 adoption as a whole. Are there recent sort of major brands that have come on board directly or indirectly into your ecosystem? And what's that experience been like for them? Yes to the first question in Korea, because gaming is such a big part of the Korean community. And culture. And culture. So there are huge brands, brands like Samsung or Hyundai, or even very big local brands. For example, right now, you can go to a convenience store in Korea, and there's like tens of thousands of convenience stores pretty much everywhere. You buy a drink, maybe a Coke or maybe a soda or something, we have uh, collaborations with these drink companies where you buy something, you enter that code into our game, and maybe you have a chance to win something at Nitros, the game that we're servicing now. We have this with drink companies. We have this kind of stuff with other variety of companies. 
So I think Korean companies are aware that yes, there are branding opportunities. I do see this with other big global brands as well. Some of the French brands have done something with, for Leak, for example, they have, I think it was Louis Vuitton, they did something with them. And so I think there are interactions, but I think they don't realize how big it could be. And it doesn't have to be super fancy, super expensive, but I think there are lifestyle brands that I think that could do more with the gaming crowds. Cause I mean, this is, I think, how they can build up their brand. Yeah, I mean, we've experienced it personally. I've shared the story before with our listeners, but one of the key moments in our life cycle was when Animoca Brands uh, collaborated with us after Yatsu came on the show and we had an in-game Edge of NFT racing car in their Rev Racing game. And before I knew it, it was this beautiful cross-pollination of our audience and their audience and thousands of race cars uh, riding around. And, And so that was like an aha moment for me. And I think there is a lot of potential there. Before we sort of wrap up, I wanted to sort of cover AI because I know that's part of sort of your innovation. You guys are pushing the needle and I don't know if AI and gaming gets talked about enough. What are some of the use cases you're applying right now with AI and what are the use cases that you see moving forward? AI will change so many things in the world. I'm a huge believer of AI and what it can do and raise productivity. I mean, there's a lot of worries and naysayers about how it could negatively impact us. I'm sure there's that, but there's so many other good things. And so in regards to gaming, we have developers or producers and studios that we own that actually uh, they're generating art content. You have faster prototyping and it saves time, it saves money. And so there's all of that going on. And then we know of companies that are actually using NLP models into building them into their bots or their NPCs. And because you've got TTS speech to text and text to speech, a lot of that mouth movement, all of that, it's becoming closer and closer. I think there will be a time, you know, now when you do quests within games, you press buttons, you see the menu. But as I'm talking with an NPC, the NPC is going to say, hey, Juan, we think you should do this. It'll be interactive. And I think a lot of that technology is already there right now. Game developers are slowly implementing that And maybe we need to implement more different parts of the AI puzzle into a single game. Because game is like, it's not just a single art. You need art, music, graphics, storytelling. And I think AI could be a huge impact on how we develop and how I interact with games. And five years from now, I mean, if you don't use AI in game development or part of gameplay, you've lost out. Yeah, to your point, a game is a symphony and you have so many beautiful parts of it and having all of those different instruments of the game bringing it together I think what makes it the beauty that is a game and and makes people want to come back for more and I agree with you on the NPC side I think that is one of the biggest areas where AI can come in and dynamically make games that more that much more life-changing but if you had to like pinpoint from the AI standpoint of besides NPCs like what is probably going to be some of the most direct impacts from the gamer side of things that they're going to start noticing I think it could be in terms of content generation, because as developers, we've always seen you know, hundreds of us make games, uh, the content, and we do an upgrade, a major upgrade six months later, and the content is consumed in three days or six weeks. And so there's always the battle of making new content for your users. And I think because we can shorten the content generation time through AI, I think users will be able to feel and play more content or have new content accessible And I think it'll make it more fun. And of course, if you don't have that content, you have the social aspect, you have the online aspect. I'm happy talking with you guys online, but in terms of content, that's gonna be a big part. And I think we might see a lot of uh, smaller companies without the resources of 50 million or $100 million trying to make AAA games. They can reiterate, make small games, do a Kickstarter project or put it on a small launch pad, get quick feedback from the user base, and then quickly build on top of that. And all of that's gonna be enabled by AI. 
Very exciting stuff. Lots of interesting insights. Before we wrap, you mentioned one big game coming out, I think, in December that maybe you could elaborate on that. That's the Nitros that I talked about. So okay, got it, got it. So it's going to be a big game. I mean, wait for it. I mean, you can Google us, you can YouTube us, but when the game comes out, we think we should be able to do minimum two million concurrent users, and that's wow. probably the record of all Web three. All games. Web three for sure. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, some alpha here and Edge of NFT live in Seoul. Juan, such a pleasure talking to you today. Where can folks go to get more involved in WeMade and WeMix and sort of follow what you're up to? Yeah, I primarily focus on our gaming side, but come to WeMixPlay.com and you'll see all the games that we've got coming up. And if you're not a follower, you can follow us on Twitter and all the other good social handles. All right. Thanks a lot for your time today. All right. Thank you. Okay. We've reached the outer limit at the edge of NFTs today. Thanks for exploring with us. We've got space for more adventures on this starship. So invite your friends and recruit some cool strangers that will make this journey all so much better. How? Go to iTunes right now, rate us and say something cool. Then go to edgeofnft.com to dive further down the rabbit hole. The views and opinions expressed on Edge of NFT reflect solely those views and opinions of the show hosts and its guests. Please make sure to do your own research. Our show is not financial advice. You understand that you are using any and all information available on or through this podcast at your own risk. Whenever making financial decisions, we recommend doing your own research and talking to your accountant for financial advice. From time to time, we may feature sponsored content on the show for which we receive value, and we may share links for which we receive a commission if you make a purchase through one of those links. Refer to our website, www.edgeofnft.com, for our full disclaimer, terms and conditions, and privacy policy. 